0: Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tulkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshachinu, Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Abba, we worship you, we thank you, and we glorify your holy name. We thank you for being a God who loves us and cherishes us, who speaks to us. And who speaks through us. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will boldly speak into our hearts and lives, that it be your word heard, that it be your voice received. Father, that uh, the only thing of me involved be that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, let your words ring true into our hearts and lives and awaken us to the realities of your salvation. In the name of Yeshua our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen, amen and Amen. This week we are in Parsha Yitro uh, from. Genesis chapter uh, 18, verse 1 through chapter 20, uh, the the entirety of chapter 20. If you have your scriptures, go ahead. We're going to skip past chapter 18 this morning, not because I think it's not of value, um, but because I feel like the Lord has given a specific message for this morning, for our mishpacha, for our... Uh, family here, our our community here at Maim Chaim. Uh, And so I want to dig right into that, if you you don't mind. We want to just dive right into uh, the scriptures and start to unpack what the Lord has in store for us this morning. So Genesis chapter 19, beginning with verse 3. Genesis 19, as we no, on quite a regular occasion here in our synagogue, uh, basically every single week we read from this passage uh, as we begin our Torah service, right? Before we open up the Torah scroll here, we have the tradition of sounding the shofar to awaken our hearts and our lives to the voice of the Lord coming forth from his word. Uh, and we read the passage from Exodus 19 about Israel at Mount Sinai, and then blast the shofar and open up the Torah and begin to read. Um, and so this is, uh, I feel for our congregation, a very important passage of scripture. Um, and for the message the Lord's placed on my heart for today, something I feel is absolutely vital for us as believers, and so for anyone listening to this message, please take note. This this is an important message, especially today, the day that we live in, the world that we live in, the way that things are around us. This is an important thing to grasp. So Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 says, Moses went up to God, and I called to him from the mountain, saying, "'Say this to the house of Jacob and tell Bnei Israel, "'You have seen what I did to the Egyptians "'and how I carried you on eagles' wings "'and brought you to myself. "'Now then, if you listen closely to my voice "'and keep my covenant, "'then you will be my own treasure from among all peoples, "'for all the earth is mine. "'So as for you, you will be to me "'a kingdom of Kohanim uh, and a holy nation. "'These are the words which you are to speak "'to Bnei Israel.'" Um, And then we we continue on through verse 7. It says, So Moses went, called for the elders of the people, and put before them all these words that Adonai had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, Everything that Adonai has spoken, we will do. Then Moses reported the words of the people to Adonai. So the Lord tells Moses and I, I said this briefly during Q&A earlier, I kind of feel bad for Moses during this particular period of time, um, because as you can tell, I'm not typically a hyper-athletic kind of an individual, Um, and so I'm thinking about Moses, who's over 80, who at this point is now climbing up and down Mount Sinai over and over and over again to relay short messages to God and to Israel. And so he's ascended the mountain, the Lord said, okay, now go back down to Israel and tell Israel what I'm saying And Israel says, okay, cool, now go back up to God and tell God everything he says we will do. And God says, okay, cool, now go back down and tell Israel what's about to happen. And Israel says, okay, go back up and tell God we're ready. And God says, come back down, and and then he goes back down, and Israel gets ready to hear the voice of the Lord, and the Lord says, okay, Moses, come back up. (laughs) Really? (laughs) That's a lot of climbing, a lot of hiking up and down this mountain, Right? So Moses comes down, he tells Israel exactly what the Lord says, and that the Lord wants to make the nation, a nation of Kohanim, a nation of priests, a holy nation. Now here's, here's what's, what's unique about Exodus 19. A lot of people don't understand this. Exodus 19 is a Jewish wedding ceremony, all right? The Aseret had brought the 10 words, the 10 commandments that we, we read about in Exodus chapter 20. They're a marriage covenant. They're a ketubah, a marriage contract between Adonai and his people, the nation of Israel. All right? It's a very important thing to grasp because as the presence of the Lord descends upon the mountain, it's also hovering over the nation of Israel, over the people, as a, a chuppah, a, a kippurah, covering over the nation. And so the Lord is saying, I want to make you mine. I want to make you my people. I want to make you my bride. And Israel is saying, we're good with that. We want part of that. We want to be your bride. This is the betrothal ceremony of the Jewish wedding ceremony. And then down the road, when Messiah returns, he will come back and gather his bride unto himself. And we will celebrate the wedding feast of the Lamb, which is the latter part of the wedding ceremony in which the bride is then gathered to her groom. And traditionally, in ancient Jewish weddings, the the groom would, they would have this betrothal ceremony, the groom would go off back to his father's house, he'd prepare a home for him and his bride, he would save up a whole ton of money, as much as he could, because traditionally, for at least the first year, the husband and bride, neither of them work, they don't do anything outside the home, they just focus on building a relationship together, on getting to know each other, and on becoming bosah one flesh, one uh, one couple, one flesh. And so, the, the groom had uh, has this betrothal ceremony to the bride, and they separate. And that's basically a marriage, a wedding ceremony. The groom goes back, gets things ready. Now, Yeshua says nobody knows the hour of time except the father, right? And the reason he says that is because guess who decides when the groom has done enough to go collect his bride? The father, right? The groom doesn't go, hey, you know, I got half a house here. There's a bedroom, a bathroom, and part of a kitchen. We got at least a refrigerator. I can go get her now, right? We're good to go. Oh, no, no, I still have to work every day in order to feed for my family and continue building the house, but I should go get her, Right? No, no, the father is the one that decides. And the father looks at the home that he's built. He looks at the amount of money that has been saved up. He looks at the the flocks and the herds that have been developed. He looks at everything that's needed for this marriage to be a success, for it to literally become basarachad, one flesh, for them to love each other, for them to have a comfortable life without worry for that first year when he's not working, for them to build a life together. And then the father goes, all right, now the time is right. Go gather your bride and come back for your wedding feast. And so Yeshua says, no man knows the hour or the time except the Father because it's an image of this Jewish wedding ceremony. We have been betrothed to our groom, and the Father, our Heavenly Father, will tell Messiah when it's time to come back to gather his bride unto himself. And so here, as we read in Exodus 19 and 20, we are interacting scripturally, we are interacting with the wedding of Israel and Adonai, Israel and Hashem. We go into verse 10. Says, Adonai said to Moses, go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothing. Be ready for for the third day, for on the third day, Adonai will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Uh, And then he goes on to talk about the boundaries around the mountain. We skip down to verse 16, and and this is what we read every week in our Torah service, right? Verse 16, In the morning of the third day, there was thundering and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and the blast of an exceedingly loud shofar. All the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the lowest part of the mountain. Now the entire Mount Sinai was in smoke, because Adonai had descended upon it in fire. The smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked greatly. When the sound of the shofar grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with a thunderous sound. And then from here we enter into chapter 20, where the nation of Israel, here's the bakor, the voice of God, the audible sound of the voice of the Lord. Right? The nation of Israel as a whole hears Hashem, hears Adonai, speak forth the had brought the ten words, the ten commandments to the nation. It's not like Moses is hearing this and coming down between each command and relaying this message as he's done with the, the, the previous messages leading up to this point. But the Lord is physically himself speaking these words over the nation of Israel and proclaiming them to the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel, the people of God are hearing the voice of the Lord, right? And then we go into the Ten Commandments, and I just want to briefly run through each of them. We go into the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 1, says, "Uh, then, uh, Then God spoke all these words, saying, now notice, God spoke these words to Israel. Not Moses speaking on behalf of God, not Aaron speaking on behalf of Moses on behalf of God. God himself is speaking these words to Moses. So in verse 2 it says, I am Adonai your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That's command number one. I don't care what other traditions of ordering the commandments say, that is command number one. Okay? That is the, the, these are the Jewish ordering of the Ten Commandments. The very same ordering that Messiah Yeshua would have read them by. And if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for me, right? That's how I look at it. So command number one is, I am Adonai your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So command number one is, know who your God is. That's why traditionally in many synagogues you would see the word somewhere in the sanctuary uh, that says, know before whom you serve. And it's in Hebrew, but know before whom you, I'm sorry, know before whom you stand. It's always in Hebrew, but know before whom you stand. This command number one is, I am the Lord your God. I am Adonai your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Don't mistake me for somebody else. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse three, the second command, you shall have no other gods before me. He doesn't play, right? And he goes through this whole list of how you could break all that. He doesn't play. You shall have no other God before me. I am Adonai your God. Have nobody else. It's me. That's it. That's it right? The husband should have no other brides beside the bride he's getting married to. He should have no side action going on. He should have nothing happening beside his bride. Just like we are the bride of God. Sorry if that went curveball on you there, my bad. Um, We are the bride of Messiah, right? And we should have no other husbands beside the Lord our God. He is Adonai, our God. He is the one that has brought us out of bondage and slavery in Egypt We shall have no other God before him. Verse 7, this is command number 3. You must not take the name of Adonai your God in vain, for Adonai will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Right out the gate. Three of the first Ten Commandments all deal specifically with who God is and how we're to relate to him. Right out the gate. As a matter of fact, if you look at the tablets and the way they were designed, there were two tablets upon the tablets. There were five commandments written on each. The first five deal with our relationship with God. The second five, deal with our relationship with man. Who knows what command number five is? And we're going to read it again in a second. Who knows what command number five is? Honor your father and mother. Anybody wondering how in the world that connects to God? Like, shouldn't that be on the other tablet? But if we're going to honor our father and mother, we first have to learn how to honor our heavenly father. We first have to learn how to receive his love before we can learn how to receive our our earthly father and mother. And our, our earthly father and mother, our relationship with them, should mirror our relationship with God. Now look, I'm talking about it from our perspective. We can't control what they do, okay? So if you come from a bad family, we can't control them. We can control how we respond because our response to them is relatable to our response to God and his response to us, all right? Just throwing that out there. All right, command number four, (laughs) the one that everybody likes to throw out in the body of Messiah, command number four. Verse 8, remember Yom Shabbat, the day of Shabbat, to keep it holy. He goes through this whole series of how to do that. Remember Yom Shabbat, the day of Shabbat, and keep it holy. Here in Exodus 20, it says, remember the Shabbat. In Deuteronomy 5, where the commandments are repeated, the Ten Commandments are repeated, he says, safeguard or protect the Shabbat. All right? Here, he says, you're to remember it because of creation. In Deuteronomy 5, he says, you're to remember it, you're to honor it, you're to serve it, uh, to serve the Lord on Shabbat because I brought you out of Egypt. Both are absolutely true and both are absolutely valid and both are absolutely important. Then we go to verse 12, which is command number five. We just said this, honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long upon the land which Adonai, your God has given you. I tell my kids all the time, you better listen to me or you're going to die. I don't really tell them that at all, but, uh, but that's basically what the scripture says, right? You want your life to be long? Behave yourself. It's kind of as simple as that. Um, verse 13, do not commit murder. Uh, 14, do not commit adultery. 15, do not steal. 16, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And commandment number 10, verse 17, do not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his manservant, uh, his maidservant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's Verse 18, all the people witnessed the thundering and the lightning and the sound of the shofar and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood far off. So they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. The nation of Israel hears what? The voice of the Lord at Mount Sinai. And the voice of the Lord gives them these Ten Commandments, but... Predicating the voice of the Lord spoken before the nation or over the nation of Israel, first he says, You must sanctify yourself. Right? For two days, sanctify yourself. Make yourself holy. Make sure you separate yourself from the ordinary things of this world. Make sure you separate yourself from anything that could be considered sinful, so that when you are in my presence, you are spotless. Sanctify yourself. Make yourself holy. And then he gives us the the 10 words, which tells us how to sanctify ourselves after we interact with the presence of the Lord. So first, in order to hear the voice of the Lord, we have to be righteous and holy. We have to be sanctified, right? And then to continue hearing the voice of the Lord, we have to continue to be sanctified. And he gives us a whole series of commands as to how to do that. Now, here's what's interesting. Matthew chapter 5, Yeshua seems to shift the game a little bit, right? He seems to, to twist things around because all of a sudden he goes into these commands and he goes, oh, you've heard it said to sin to commit murder. But I say if you've even hated somebody in your heart, you've already committed that sin. You've heard it's a sin to commit adultery, but I say if you've even lusted after somebody, you've already committed that sin in your heart. Now what's interesting, both of these, all four issues within both of these discussions, murder and hatred are dealt with in the Torah. We're commanded not to do either of them in the Torah. Adultery and lust are spoken of in the Torah. We're commanded not to do either of them in the Torah. He didn't reinvent the wheel. He didn't say anything new, but what he is doing is he's realigning our perspective because he's telling us for every physical command, murder is physical, right? You, you got to get down and dirty with it for murder to happen. I mean, you know, I don't care if it's with a rifle from a distance or if it's with a sledgehammer up close, it's going to get messy and you have to get messy to make it happen, right? So for every physical command, there's a spiritual command, an internal command, right? So every physical sin, there's an internal sin and that internal sin predicates the physical sin. Adultery occurs because first we lust after somebody else, right? Right? So if we trust in Yeshua, if Yeshua resides within us, if His Ruach HaKodesh resides within us and guides us, and we can never lust, we can never commit adultery. If we can never hate, we can never commit murder. And so Yeshua is telling us for each of these 10 commandments, and all the rest of them for that matter, with each of these 10 commandments, there is a spiritual and internal side of the discussion as well. So if he commands us in order to hear his voice, we have to first be sanctified, righteous, and holy. And then he gives us guidelines for how to live a sanctified, righteous, and holy life before the Lord. If we're not hearing the voice, what does that that mean? How many of us in this room have walked our lives ever in a day in our lives and gone, I just wish I could hear the voice of the Lord. I just wish the Lord would answer this question or give me guidance on this issue. I wish I could hear the voice of the Lord. Israel heard the audible voice of the Lord, right? Right? All of those, the Yarden at the Jordan River when Messiah, when Yeshua was immersed with, uh, by Yochanan Hamed Beel, they heard the voice of the Lord, right? Why can I not hear the voice of the Lord now? Just back things up a little bit. Sanctify yourself. Before you, hear the voice of the Lord, and then live a sanctified, righteous, and holy life after you hear the voice of the Lord so that you continue to hear the voice of the Lord. See, Israel got the part about sanctifying, and they they, they made that happen. They got the part about living a sanctified, righteous, and holy life. They never really made that part happen. But where they stopped short is they told God, we don't want to hear your voice anymore. It wasn't just a verbal thing either. Their lives began to show the truth of that statement because it's not shortly after this specific incident that our people build the golden calf and revel in, a, I'm not going to, there's a kid in the room, I'm not going to use the word, revel in some questionable activities that are perhaps happening across the Bay and Mobile at this very moment. Uh, they, it's Mardi Gras, you never know, but uh, they build the golden calf, they revel in some questionable activities around the golden calf, and they proclaim, this is our God that brought us out of the land of Egypt. Right? Sanctify yourself hear the voice of the Lord. Continue to be sanctified, righteous, and holy. Continue to be set apart so that you continue to hear the voice of the Lord. We said, eh, let's shut that down. I don't really want that. Moses, you go get it, bring it back to us, but I'm not in the mood for hearing the Lord right now. Now, here's the thing. We as believers today, we still have that attitude and that mentality, right? Right? You may ask yourselves, and as a matter of fact, prime example, You know, I said there's a physical command and a spiritual, uh, physical sin and spiritual sin. Physical command, spiritual command, right? Steal. Thou shalt not steal. You shall not steal. You shall not take something that is not yours, right? It's one of the commands. You know what the very next command is? The spiritual side of it. You shall not covet. If I don't want what my dude next door has, I'm not going to go take it, right? If I don't lust after it, if I don't covet it, I'm not going to go steal it. Bottom line. Bottom line. You cannot steal without first coveting. And I don't care if you steal, like, look, I don't care the, the type of stealing. I don't care the type of theft. I don't care if you go and you steal a really nice car and you sell it to somebody else who's the one going to do some major crime with it. It doesn't matter. You still stole it. You may not have been coveting after, after that car, but you were coveting after the money you were going to get for that car, Right? For every physical sin, for every physical command, there's a spiritual sin and a spiritual command that goes with it. And the only way that the spiritual... See, the reason Israel fell short of the glory, the reason Israel could never honor the Torah in its fullness, the reason you and I can never on our own honor the Torah in its fullness is not because the Torah is hard. It's not because the Torah is difficult. It's not because honoring the word of the Lord is difficult. We we talk about honoring our father and mother all the time, right? And we all as parents expect our children to honor us. And part of honoring us is doing what we say, right? If I tell my kids, clean your room, it is not a difficult task, right? It's not. It's, it's not a, it's going to be a fight, but it's not a difficult task. So them honoring my wishes is not hard. It's not complicated. It's not something that they cannot attest or attain to. It's something that can be done, right? Same thing with the Torah. These are not things that cannot, do not murder. It's not physically impossible not to murder right? Theoretically, these are are absolutely commands that we can keep. The problem comes in we focus on the physical aspect of these commands while ignoring the spiritual aspect. And the reason we continue to sin, breaking all of the physical commands, is because we are ignoring the spiritual commands. We are ignoring the rest of what makes us sanctified, righteous, and holy. The reason Israel on their own could never fulfill the Torah, could never uphold the Torah, could never honor the Torah in its fullness is not because they did not have the ability, but because they did not allow the Lord to completely revamp and redesign their internal, their heart, so that the internal didn't sin predicating the sin of the external. See, in Matthew 5, what Yeshua tells us is, if you let me live on the inside, if you let me handle the inside, the outside will never do any of these things. If you let me take care of your, your internal desires to lust and, and, and hate, you'll never have to worry about committing murder. If you let me handle your covetous, covetousness, you'll never have to gouge your eyes out. Right? He says, <laughs> says, if you do something wrong, if you gouge your own eye out. He says, if you, if you let me handle your covetousness, if you let me handle all that mess, you'll never have to worry about any of that. We go to 1 Kings. I want to. I want to keep honing in on this, hearing the voice of the Lord. We go to verse King, one Kings, verse, chapter nineteen, verse eleven. Here we have Eliahu, Elijah, who is losing his mind right now because the nations, particularly these. Pagan individuals are trying to kill him as they've tried to kill all of the prophets of Israel. And he thinks he's the last one standing, right? He thinks he is the only one remaining of the prophets of Israel who truly serve the Lord Almighty and not Baalim, the the gods of this world. So verse 11, he has this really interesting encounter with the Lord. And so verse 11 says, then he said, come out and stand on the mountain before Adonai. The presence of the Lord has already been revealed to him. He says, come out and stand on the mountain before Adonai. Behold, Adonai, was passing by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountain and shattering cliffs before Adonai. So he hears the wind. He sees the destructive force of the wind. But Adonai was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But Adonai was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But Adonai was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a soft whisper of a voice. As soon as Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. It was in the still small voice. It was in the soft whisper of the voice, the bakol in Hebrew. We, we call it the bakol. Uh, the bakol is, it literally translates to a quiet feminine voice. Uh, bat is daughter, kol is voice. So it's a quiet feminine voice. Um, but, but when we say bakol, we're talking about the still small voice, the, the quiet voice of the Lord. See, the nation of Israel hears the audible voice of God in Mount Sinai, it was a physical encounter with the Lord. It was a, awe, a shock and awe. It was you know, George W. Bush, we're going to shock and awe, right? It was a shock and awe experience with the Lord. The Lord wanted to get their attention physically. But that still small voice, that quiet whisper of the Lord, that's the internal voice. That's the voice he speaks to us with on a daily basis, on a momentarily basis, on a, a second by second basis. That's the voice that the Lord steers and guides us with. That's the voice we should be listening for. But see, the reality is is Elijah couldn't hear this voice of the Lord first because of all the noise in his heart and his head of worrying about the external. He was ignoring the internal, the spiritual. He was ignoring the spiritual battle that was at hand. He was ignoring his spirituality that was at hand. He was only focusing on the external. He was only focusing on the fear of death that he thought was chasing him. He wasn't focusing on that that quiet, still, small voice. See, a lot of times we do the same thing. When we fall into sin, when we fall out of sanctification, when we fall out of being separate, righteous, and holy for the Lord, when we fall into the ways of this world, the noise that's going on around us spiritually which, by the way, the enemy wants us to heed. He wants us to listen to this mess. This noise going on around us is what keeps us from hearing that still small voice, that whispering, quiet voice of the Lord, the back hole. The Lord speaks to us through that back hole. And if we have all this outside noise going, we have all this buffering going on around us, we can't hear that still small voice. See, if you pay attention to news cameras, um, they, that are, when they're doing interviews outside in the, the, the open air, on their microphone, on their camera, and on the microphone in the, the, the uh, news reporter's hand, there's this, this foam thing around it, or sometimes on the camera or a boom mic, it's going to be like this real fuzzy thing. It's called a, a windshield or wind guard, and its purpose is to muffle, to quiet all that external noise, so that the only thing you hear is the voice. You don't hear all this background stuff. You don't hear the wind rushing around them. You don't, you know, when when you see the guys from we, uh, the Weather Channel down by the bay when a hurricane's roaring in, and, and you can see the wind doing all of this stuff, but you can clearly hear his voice. That's an image of us focusing on the voice of the Lord, that Bachol, the still small voice. It doesn't matter about all the mess going on around us. If we get caught up in that, if we get caught up in the ways of this world, if we get caught up in sin and despair, physical sin and despair, that means that we've ignored the internal, the spiritual aspect. We've ignored as believers the reality that our Messiah, Yeshua, resides within us. The presence of the Lord himself resides within us. The Ruach HaKodesh, which inspired these words of the Bible, lives within us and wants to speak forth into our lives but cannot Because of all the spiritual noise that we have going on in the background, we can't hear him. He's speaking. He's there. He's knocking all the time, trying to get our attention. But we're so caught up in all this mess. And so in Matthew 5, Yeshua tries to realign our mentality. He says, no, no, no. Tell you what, don't even focus on murder and adultery. Like, Just ignore those commands even exist, because I want to take you to a deeper reality. I want to take you to my level of Spirituality. He goes, I'm gonna be on the inside and I'm gonna handle this for you. And if you just rely on me, if you just trust in me, if you just give me your all, you won't ever have to worry about that external stuff. When that external stuff comes up, guess what that means? We didn't give them our all. And when that external stuff's going on and we can't hear the voice of the Lord because of all of the mess going on around us, all of the external noise, and we can't hear the back hole, that still small voice of the Lord. It's because we are so caught up in the things of this world rather than in the things of Hashem, the things of Adonai, rather than in listening to the voice of the Lord and how He speaks into our lives and our hearts. John chapter 10, verse 27, Yeshua says, My sheep hear My voice. I know them and they follow Me. So if we're not hearing the voice of the Lord, if we're not hearing Yeshua's voice, it's not because He's not talking. It's because we're not listening. We're so caught up in all this other stuff. We go to uh, John 14. Verse twenty three. Yeshua answered and said to them, to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word; my Father will love him, and we will cont- we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me these things I have spoken to you while dwelling with you, but the helper, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of everything that I said to you. In other words, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, will be the still small voice that will direct our footsteps so long as we are willing to submit to his guidance, to his leading. We go to the epistles where Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Then it's followed by husbands. Love your wives as Messiah loves the body. Right? We are the wife. We're to submit to our husband who loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that we could have eternal life, everlasting life in his midst. He's already doing his part as the groom, as the husband. He loves us. We as the bride have to submit to him. The same goes for our marriages. If the groom doesn't love the, husband or the wife and show the wife the love and support and care and nourishing that she needs, she has no reason whatsoever to bother trying to submit to him. She has no desire to submit to him because he's not going to take care of her. But the Lord loves us and cares for us and cherishes us and nourishes us and speaks to us and embraces us and coddles us and takes care of us. And for some of us, coddles us more than we need, but he takes care of us. And it's our duty to submit as the bride to our groom. It is our duty to submit to the Lord so that we can be sanctified, righteous, and holy, set apart, and we can hear his voice Second Timothy verse three, uh, chapter three, verse 14. Sorry, Second Timothy chapter three, verse 14. You, however, Continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of for you know from whom you have learned and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to make you wise, leading to salvation through trusting in Messiah Yeshua, all scriptures inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for restoration and for training in righteousness so that every person belonging to God may be capable, fully equipped for every good deed. You know how the voice of the Lord quite often speaks to us through his word. It's not the only way. There's that still small voice. Sometimes we get so far out that we have to have that shock and awe Sinai experience and God slaps us across the back of the head and speaks fearfully into our hearts or fear-inspiringly into our hearts. And we hear that audible voice of the Lord. You know, I've never heard somebody tell me a testimony of them hearing the audible voice of the Lord that began with, I was walking right with God. You ever, you ever thought about them? I mean, I don't know about you guys. Maybe you've had a different experience. I have never heard somebody talk about the audible voice of God speaking in their hearts that began with, I was walking right with God. It always begins with, I was over here somewhere, and God smacked the crap at me and said, you need to get over here, <laughs> right? I've had those experiences. If you hear the shock and awe of the voice of the Lord, it's because you're either already messing up or He knows what's about to happen. And Israel had messed up numerous times leading up to Mount Sinai, and he knew what was about to happen. Shock and awe was necessary. But for the most part, he speaks to us in that still, small, quiet voice, that inclination of the Spirit, where he speaks to us directly through his word. Every once in a while, there's one of those shock and awe, audible voice of the Lord moments. But if we're doing what we're supposed to do, if we are fully submitted to our bridegroom, if we are fully submitted to the presence of Messiah within us, if we are fully devoted to our Lord, then the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh, the presence of Messiah Yeshua resides within us in such a way that we cannot fall prey to the things of this world. If we fall short of the glory, it is because we allowed the things of this world to muffle the sound of the voice of the Lord. And I want you to understand me right now, if you have been on your face before the Lord recently, were at all in your life, crying to hear the voice of the Lord, trying with everything in your might to find His still small voice, crying out that He audibly speaks into your life, it might be time for us to reevaluate our spiritual walk with the Lord. Because if we are not hearing that still small voice, if we are not hearing that bachol, that means we've given way to the enemy and all of the noise and the background mess that goes with it that prohibits the voice of the Lord speaking forth into our lives. There is not a moment that goes by in which the God of all creation does not want to and is not already speaking into our lives, into our hearts. The question is, are we listening? Are we capable of listening? Sometimes we spend so much time talking to God that we forget that sometimes in order to hear, you just got to shut up and listen. If you're battling trying to hear the voice of the Lord, today is the day. Today is the day to give your lives entirely over to Him. If you already know the salvation of Messiah, that means rededicating your life, repenting of your sins, openly telling the Lord the things that He already knows that you've been trying to ignore for many, many years. If you yet to know Messiah, if you are yet to know Messiah, that means offering your heart to Him, asking Him to be your Lord and Savior, repenting of your sins, proclaiming your faith in His salvation. Either way it goes, if you need to hear the voice of the Lord, today is the day to hear it. Now. Now so that you're prepared and sanctified to continue hearing it from this moment forward. The Lord doesn't give us a whole series of commands in the Torah so that we have to live some sort of uptight life. He gives us a whole series of commands in the Torah so that we can continue to walk faithfully in relationship and covenant with Him so that we can hear His voice. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, We love you. We cherish you. Father, we adore you. God, as a human, I have no understanding of why in the world you would love us. I look at my own life. I look at the life that I've lived in the past. I look at the world around me, and I see nothing that is worth your time, nothing that is worth the sacrifice you have made for us. But Father, I am so thankful that you see beside, beyond what I can see physically, that you see beyond what the world sees of me physically, that you see beyond what I see of the world around me. I am so thankful that you saw into your own creation, that you saw into the breath of God that you breathed within us and saw that there is at least some minute aspect of you within our lives that is worthy of being redeemed and restored. Father, I thank you that you have chosen to restore us by your sanctifying blood of the Lamb, that we may be restored to you in faithfulness, that we may be restored into a place of being able to hear your backhole. Father, I pray that you breathe into our hearts and our lives, that we thoroughly and willingly and viciously seek the Bakhol, the still small voice, that we viciously seek Allowing your leadings and guidance in our lives to separate ourselves from all of the mess and the the background noise of the world around us, that we can hear your voice, Father. Make us righteous and holy before you. Restore our lives as daughters and, and sons of the King Most High, as princes and princesses of the eternal kingdom of our Messiah. Father, restore us as the bride of your youth that you knew. Father, restore us to the perfected state that you created us in, that we may be worthy of being your bride, worthy of seeing the return of our Messiah, worthy of experiencing the wedding feast of the Lamb. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen, amen and Amen.